You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. The empty tomb, the risen Christ, his victory over sin and death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is without a doubt the greatest news mankind will ever receive. I love how the message translation of 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 4 is written. Listen to this. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And again, that is what Easter is all about. It says we have been given a new life, a brand new life, and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and that future starts now, here today. The good news of Easter is you don't have to wait until you die to go to heaven to find ultimate purpose and meaning and significance for your life. That scripture says you can find all of that and more here and now. This brand new life is all connected to what Jesus did at Easter. And through Christ coming back to life, it provides for each of us an opportunity to live a glorious life. Not just the good life. And yet in the midst of this great and grand and glorious news, we are living in a world that is filled with bad news. I heard about a newspaper that decided they were only going to print good news. Unfortunately, the newspaper went out of business very quickly because there was not that much good news to report and not that many people were interested in good news only. Indeed, we are living in a world that is filled with bad news. You read about all the bad things that are happening in the world, in our newspapers, on the internet. You hear on television and radio a lot of the bad things that are going on in our country and around the world. And the bad news just never seems to end. And there are times where we think that we have heard the worst news ever and then something else happens and takes us to an even deeper place of despair. I heard about a lady who called the television repairman to come to her home. And he arrived and he asked her, what's wrong with your TV? And she said, look at that newscaster. Look how long his face is. Something is wrong. And the TV repairman said to her, if you had to report what he had to report, you'd have a long face too. We're living in a world that is filled with bad news, and it's not just in the world. The Bible is God's word, and it is filled with good news, but it also has a lot of bad news. story about a woman who was talking to her friend, and she said to her, I just got married, and her friend said, that's good news. And she said, no, it's not good news. He's ugly. And her friend said, that's bad news. She said, no, it's good news. He's rich. And her friend said, that's good news. And she said, no, it's bad news. He's stingy. And her friend said, that's bad news. And she said, no, it's good news. He built me a brand new house. And her friend said, that's good news. And she said, no, it's not. It burned to the ground. And her friend said, that's bad news. And she said, no, it's good news. He was in it. So everywhere you go, everywhere you look, there is good news and bad news. And the Bible, God's message to mankind, is really no different. 
The Bible is a book which does indeed give us some bad news. The Bible tells us the bad news that we are all sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We don't like to hear that. It's not a message that does a lot to build up our self-esteem. And the Bible also gives us the bad news that there's really nothing that we can do about it. We don't like that either. We like to think that we can solve every problem, overcome every obstacle. And in our day of modern technology, we think we have the answer for everything. Yet the Bible makes it very plain and clear that we are sinners. And it gives us the bad news that there's nothing we can do about it on our own. The Bible also gives us the bad news that if people die in their sins without a Savior, that they spend eternity forever separated from the presence and the love of God. The Bible says in John 3.36, it says the wrath of God abides on those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the bad news is that we are sinners helpless to do anything about it and that the wrath of God is upon us. And yet the Bible is also a book that is filled with good news. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, and he says, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That word gospel there, it means good news. And everywhere you see that word gospel throughout the New Testament, it is a message to us of the good news that God has given to us. And our responsibility is really to understand the bad news so that we can receive and respond to the good news. This past week, Holy Week, again, is observed by the church as the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And if you're familiar at all with the last week of Jesus' earthly life, again, you know that there is a lot of good news and a lot of bad news in there. There's the bad news of Judas's betrayal, the mocking and beating of Jesus, the, the crown of thorns, the denial of Peter, the shouts of the mob to crucify him, just to name a few. There's also the good news of the institution of the Last Supper, the triumphant entry that Jesus made into Jerusalem, and the waving of the palm branches and the crowd shouting, Hosanna the washing of the disciples' feet, and of course, the ultimate good news, he has risen, death has been defeated. We have been in a series of messages called Living Like Jesus Lived, and we've been looking at some of the good news of how Jesus lived his earthly life, in part to be an example to you and I of how we should live our lives. And so far we looked at how Jesus served others, particularly through the washing of the disciples' feet. Last week we looked at how Jesus connected with other people, how he saw people, how he used those connections to share the good news of the gospel. So this morning I want to just take a few moments and I want to just share with you the way Jesus valued people and the good news this morning is that Jesus values each and every one of us 
So much so that it is his desire to want to lead us and to bring us into a living, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to open them to Mark chapter 8. It's interesting if you have ever read the whole gospel of Mark, you kind of realize that chapter 8 is a very pivotal chapter. As a matter of fact, I think you could probably divide the book of Mark up into two different acts. And chapter 8 is the climax of, of act 1. These disciples are, are kind of finally beginning to wake up and they're, they're, they're realizing uh, and they're seeing the light and they're beginning to recognize the true identity of this man Jesus that they have been following. And Jesus is about to tell them something about every person born into this world that would totally change the way they saw themselves and totally change the way they saw other people. Listen to these words from verse 36 through 37. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now on the surface, this may not sound like very good news, but it really is. The Greek word for soul is, is the word psych, psyche, and it's where we get our word psychology. And here Jesus is kind of declaring in a very bold way the value and worth of every person. That word soul, it is the essence of who every person is. And Jesus is making a very strong statement that every person is what we would call in the sports world an MVP. If any of you are familiar with sports, then you know what that means, the most valuable player, which is the player that is the most valuable and the best player of all the players in that given sport. And the good news this morning is that in God's eyes, every person who has ever lived is a most valuable person. See, the way God measures value and the way the world measures value is totally different. Practically every culture will point to certain things and say, if you have these things or you have that particular item, then you can know you are valuable. Or there is a belief that if you have a certain job title or a position, then you are a person of value. Jesus says no one earns value in God's eyes. Everyone is born with value in God's eyes. From the moment of conception, God has declared each one of you of immense value in God's eyes. What you have doesn't make you valuable. Who you are is what makes you valuable, and that is good news. So this morning, I want to just share with you the immense value that Jesus sees in each one of us because it is the same extraordinary value we need to see in each other. It's how Jesus lived. It's how he connected. It's how he related to other people. And he wants us to do the same in regards to others as well. First, we should see every person as spiritually valuable. Listen to Mark 8 beginning in verse 33 through 32. 
34 through 35. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Again, that word used there for life, it's the same word that is used for soul. It's the word psych. And Jesus is not talking about your physical life primarily. He is talking about your spiritual life. Because see, we are not just human beings living in a spiritual world. We are spiritual people living in a human world. For every one of us, there is a you that I can see, but it's not the real you. It is the you I cannot see that is the real you. We have a physical body, but the essence of who we are is found in our soul. In other words, our physical body is the container of our soul. Pastor Adrian Rogers tells the story of how when he was a little boy, that you could buy a package of Wrigley Spearmint chewing gum for five cents. So it was a penny, a stick, but back in that day, it was a lot of money. He remembers riding in the car with his dad one day, and his dad gave him for the first time in his life a stick of chewing gum. Adrian was so excited that he unwrapped the stick of gum. He threw the gum out the window and held on to the wrapper. True story. And the tragedy is, is that most people in the world do the very same thing with their lives. The gum is the soul, the wrapper is the body, and we tend to take care of the wrapper and throw away the gum. Which is why Jesus went on to say in verse 37, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You do realize this is a rhetorical question because the answer is nothing. There is nothing you can give in exchange for your soul because your soul is spiritually valuable. So that begs the question, what is it that makes every soul, every person so valuable? If you think about it, there are three things that give something value. First, who made it? Second, what will someone pay for it? And third, what will it become? To the first question, who made our soul? Who is the one who first made the soul that ever lived? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The word for being there is the Hebrew word for soul. I love buying things that are made in America. So whenever I'm shopping, I always like looking for that sticker on every piece of merchandise to see where it is made. I just personally think things made in America are usually better made than things made elsewhere. So whenever I get the chance to buy something made in America, I do. And on every person who has ever lived, you will find a sticker that says, made by God. Do you know what makes the Stradivarius violin so valuable? It's not the violin itself, it's who made it. The same thing is true of a painting by Rembrandt or Picasso. 
Anybody can fling a bunch of paint on a canvas and call it art. But for some reason, when Rembrandt and Picasso do it, it becomes valuable. You see, we conceive children, but it's God who creates the soul of every person. And that's what gives every person immense value. The second way you can tell the value of something is what somebody is willing to pay for it. If you've ever sold your house before, you know the first thing your real estate agent is going to do is they're going to get an appraisal of your house. And that appraisal will tell you exactly how valuable your house is because it is whatever someone is willing to pay for it. The good news of the Bible is, is not only did God make our souls, but he paid a very steep price to redeem our souls. The Bible says that God gave his only begotten son, who in turn gave himself as a ransom for those of us who were held in that unbreakable bondage to sin. Jesus gives his innocent life for guilty mankind. He allows his blood to be shed so that we might be forgiven. He takes upon himself our sentence of death and he dies upon the cross to satisfy, completely satisfy the wrath of God against sin. And then he rose from the grave three days later to proclaim the relationship between God and mankind was restored. What's interesting is that what was lost in the Garden of Eden was recovered through the empty tomb. Mankind could once again walk in unity and peace and love with our Heavenly Father. See, you and I, we are valuable not just because God made us, but because God loves us and He loves us so much that He paid for us through the life of His very own Son, See, God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. The third thing that gives something value is what it can become. Carbon is valuable because over time it has the potential to become a diamond. Oil is valuable because over time it has the potential to become energy. Your soul is valuable because over time, through sanctification, God can transform you more and more into the likeness of his son. And not only did God make us, not only did God pay for us, not only does God love us, but God can use us. And he has a divine and beautiful purpose for every life. Michelangelo one time looked at a block of marble and he said, there is an angel in that block of marble and I'm going to set him free. God sees in every person a soul, a potential that is imprisoned in meaninglessness, selfishness, greediness, materialism, and insecurity, just to name a few. And God, through Jesus Christ, he can set that soul free and he can turn it into a life of joy and peace, meaning and purpose that can be used for his glory and the good of others. That is why Jesus sees every person as spiritually valuable. Second, we should see every person as supremely valuable. I'm sometimes just amazed and and stunned at the value we put on certain things and what we will pay for certain things. 
At one time, one of the most valuable brands in all the world was eBay. eBay was started back in 1995, and currently it does $20 billion worth of business every year. Think about that. Buyers spend $2,600 a second buying items off of eBay. An atheist even once sold his soul on eBay. And by the way, the selling of souls is now disallowed. And, and it went for $504. That pales in comparison to the most expensive item ever sold on eBay, a jet for $4.9 million. I heard a story about a fire that burned down a farmer's barn, and they had the barn insured for $50,000, and the wife called the insurance company to collect the money. And the insurance agent informed her, lady, I'm sorry, we don't give you the money. We just replaced the barn. And she said, really? Let me get this straight. If I take out an insurance policy on something, you don't give me the money for it. You just replace it, correct? And he said, yes. And she said, in that case, cancel the policy I have on my husband. Now, here is how Jesus appraises the value of a soul in verse 36. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Now, Jesus is asking here a very bottom line question, and he applies what I would call an eternal balance sheet to the relative worth of one human soul. We're talking here about net worth, and net worth is what you have left after you calculate the difference between total assets and total liabilities. And on the asset side of Jesus' balance sheet, he has just one entry, and that is the entire world. On the loss, liability side, he only puts one entry, and that is one soul. And according to Jesus' accounting system, it amounts to an eternal loss. In other words, a person who could sell his soul for the entire world would wind up eternally bankrupt. And that's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 37, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And again, that is a rhetorical question. Because the answer is obvious, nothing. There is absolutely nothing in this world or even the entire world itself that is equal to the value of one soul. Think about that. The entire world, all that it has, all that it contains, is not more valuable in Jesus' eyes than one soul. Just to put that in perspective, the net value of the United States of America has been calculated at about $220 trillion. And yet, do you realize that does not even come close to the value of one soul? Honestly, it's really all hypothetical because nobody can gain the whole world. Nobody ever has and nobody ever will. The only one who really came close was Solomon in the Old Testament, but he really wasn't all that close. See, the reality is nobody wins all the championships. Nobody owns all the land. Nobody has all the money. Even if you could gain the whole world, you can't keep it. 
And in reality, we really do not hold the title deed to anything. Here's kind of a sobering thought is that one day somebody else is going to live in your house. Somebody else will have your jewelry. Somebody else will enjoy the money you leave behind. And somebody else will be sitting in your chair here at this church. I know those are fighting words, but it's true. (laughs) Remember I told you the true worth of anything is what someone is willing to pay for it. Jesus Christ demonstrated and proved how valuable your soul is because he gave his life for it. Jesus Christ did not die for houses, land, cars, yachts, diamonds, fame, or fortune. He died for lost people. He died for condemned people. He died for souls. He died for you. He died for me. You are, without a doubt, in the eyes of the one who created the universe, you are his most prized possession. I want to just close this morning by just telling you that there are two things that are true about every person on this planet. God made them and Jesus paid for them. With that being true, there's nothing more important in life than to know him and to be known by him. Jesus himself said in John 17, 3, he said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Every one of us, everyone who has ever lived, was created to know God and to be known by God. Let that sink in. The ultimate purpose, the ultimate pursuit of life is to know God and to be known by God. And Jesus says that is life. That is eternal life. And you have been made, you have been created in such a way to be a possessor of that supernatural way of life. Let me just summarize the whole Bible for you in about five sentences. You were created and made by God to have a personal relationship with him. And God fully knows you. He knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly about you. But he also unconditionally loves you. And he wants you to know him and to love him. There's only one problem. God is perfect and you and I are not. And that sin which makes us imperfect has created kind of this unbridgeable gap between us and God. And every one of us in this room have tried repeatedly and failed to do things to bridge that gap. And every effort on our part, no matter how great or small, has fallen woefully short. Over 2,000 years ago, God decided to do something about that gap between us and him And he sent his perfect and sinless son, Jesus Christ, to earth. And as that perfect and sinless son of God, Jesus was able to take our imperfections, our failures, our sins, our mistakes, 
which separated us from God, and he went to the cross, and he died for our sins, our imperfections, and when Jesus died on that cross, the penalty of death that our sins and perfections required were totally, completely satisfied, and through Jesus Christ, the gap between us and God was bridged, and three days later, why we're here this morning, God raised him from the dead and gave to Jesus eternal life. And God promises those of us whose faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, we too have that eternal brand new life as well. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He said he included everyone. This is Jesus included everyone in his death so everyone could be included in his life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says this, We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to save and to help ourselves. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. For he can raise even the dead. And he did help us and saved us from a terrible death. Jesus suffered a terrible death to save you and I from a terrible death physically and spiritually. And in the death of Christ, you and I, we were included in that death, the Bible says, so that through his resurrection, we may also be included in that. And it's through that resurrection life, you and I can have eternal life. And again, that is a life that is filled with meaning and purpose, significance and value. This is the good news of Easter. What I loved about if you were here on Good Friday and that service and Pastor Jason kind of alluded to that and he spoke about and through the word and, and through images powerfully conveyed to us what Jesus did for us. And that's really what Good Friday is all about. It's what Jesus did what he went through for us. Communion is why. Communion is why Jesus did what he did. Remember, he took that bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And he took that cup and he lifted it up and he gave thanks to God and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus went to the cross so that those of us who were broken in our sins could find wholeness. His blood was shed so those of us who were trapped in our sins could be forgiven. It's the why of what Jesus came to do. And this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the empty tomb once again echoes that statement, it is finished. And so this morning, as we just stand together in worship, we're going to close and give you an opportunity to come again this morning to just again remember and, and to experience the why Jesus came.
And maybe for some of you this morning, not only is this good news, maybe this is kind of news maybe you're hearing for the first time. Maybe it's news that you've never responded to. And as we talked about the good news and the bad news this morning, maybe you see yourself in some places in that bad news. That, that you're, you're lost in your sins, you're separated from God, you don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. But to remember that the good news is Jesus has done something about that. And this morning, it's simply just a matter of what Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth And just speak out those words. There's power in your words. And Paul said if we just say those words, Jesus is Lord. And believe in our hearts, our soul, the essence of who you are. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And again, that's what this morning is all about. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Paul said you shall be saved. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.